Hello, everybody. It is March 13th, Saturday, and this is March officially. March Madness is upon us. There have been some other marginal sports stories this week, but none bigger than the continuation of conference tournaments in college basketball. There have been some big upsets, some, you know, teams that expected to win, like Gonzaga uh, winning the West Coast Conference, for example. But lots of great games, lots of incredible matchups all week long, especially this weekend. But before we, we dive in uh, to those matchups and our own predictions for the for March Madness, I wanted to quick plug our sports analytics social media accounts. Um, you can find us at um, Villanova underscore SA on Twitter and at VU underscore sports underscore analytics on Instagram. Uh, with that being said, guys, where should we start? Should we start with a little recap on the Cats? Yeah, sounds good. I'm I'm really excited to 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 get talking today about you know Villanova and March Madness. It was really disappointing to not have the tournament last year, so really looking forward to to getting games going. For sure. I guess we can just go quickly to our game against Georgetown this Thursday. It hurts a bit less now that Georgetown is in the championship game, considering they were able to advance further than just our game. But it's it's I think is a sign for what's to come in our like inability to close out games against uh, like in- inferior competition. I think it poses a lot of problems for March. Yeah. I think that performance is probably, you know, on par with what we can expect going forward into the tournament. Uh, I was, I was surprised to see Justin Moore back on the floor after the injury. Jay Wright, after the, the Providence game said his injury was pretty severe, but then he ended up making it back. His game time decision only put up seven shots in the game. Um, so, you know, when he's back to, being kind of fully in shape he's got that injury figured out you know that could be potentially better but I mean it's gonna be I mean it's gonna be Jermaine Samuels and Jeremiah Robinson Earl picking up that usage that that Colin Gillespie was was kind of doing a lot of and I I don't know if it's gonna be enough to to make a deep run into March I I we're gonna have to see with the with the selection Sunday into March to kind of see how the bracket shakes out what what Villanova's opponents are gonna look like it's not looking good that's what I, that's what I'll say. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I I also agree that I was I was surprised to see Justin Moore in. I thought that Jay was just having him warm up just to, you know, scare Georgetown a little bit and change up their game plan maybe, but you know, he's in. So if if he's healthy that that'll be a a big plus for us, but I was also surprised to see Brian Antoine only get 8 minutes um in that game. And I don't know if this is injury related or if if they think that he's just not the guy. But um, when we see Arch playing so much, I, I would like to see Brian in there too. Yeah, I think the minute allotments during the game were really kind of enlightening to how Jay Wright wants to play going into the tournament. Arch Diacono and Slater both got more than 30 minutes. And, you know, neither of them are, are scoring threats, really, but also they're not really turnover threats. Arch Diakno had only three points, but at four assists, zero turnovers, played over 30 minutes for the first time in his career. Um, Slater's kind of more of a defensive guy. And Cole Swider only got nine minutes in the game, which is crazy because he's he's been starting at points during the season. So I, I think, you know, the right's going to try to go for a more defensive style, you know, play through the bigs more. Kind of, which is a you know, complete change from what it's been previously with, like, you know, Jared's guards. Like, that's been the big thing. But now that, you know, Gillespie's not there, you know, it's it's probably going to have to be through the bigs and unless Justin Moore kind of gets back to, to full health. But, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. On the bright side, though, I do think 
in the long run, losing early on in our conference tournament might actually be a benefit to our team because the further we went in the tournament, the more risk we had for, for a Justin Moore re-injury of that ankle, which would all but sink our hopes for any kind of run in uh, March Madness. You know, we did win at the Big East outright, so the Big East tournament wasn't something that is a make or break. Got to have it for our program. Um, we, you know, had a very successful regular season again, especially, you know, we're not a deep team. Having Cosby Rontree out all season long really put a lot of pressure on um, Jermaine Samuels and uh, JRE to kind of hold down the fort all season long, like in the front court. And I think they did like an amazing job. It speaks to Jay Wright's able to scheme people into positions where they can succeed and how Chris Archie Diakono played in that game. Like, he goes from basically playing mop-up duty all season long during blowouts to starting the most important game of the season at Madison Square Garden, and he didn't look phased. He is not much of an offensive threat, um, but that kind of stems mostly from his athleticism. He held his own defensively, didn't turn the ball over, and made his free throws, which sounds a lot like Colin Gillespie. And I think that um, as we go into March, he at least gives us a chance to compete with teams like, you know, Iowa, those those kind of blue blood teams. That being said, I guess we can move on before we really dive into March Madness previews. We can do a quick news digest um, from this past week. Notes on the All-Star game. Do you guys care about talking about that? I don't really think it's much of a discussion topic to talk about now that it's over. It was a bit weird. Uh, the highlight was just Damian Lillard and Steph Curry trading half-court threes like it was nothing, I guess. I thought it was very entertaining. I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I just tuned in a few times uh, in between doing homework and stuff, and I was just like, wow. Like, we have the best players in the whole world in one game. And it was, it was pretty cool to see them just, like, and you know, no defense and just throwing lobs and, you know, making th- threes from half-court and – um, I, I thought it was very entertaining. I know the the league was hesitant to do it because of COVID reasons and, and the logistics there. And a lot of the players, including LeBron, didn't actually want to do it. But then, you know, those players seemed pretty happy when they were there. And LeBron in particular, it seemed like he was having a good time. So I'm, I'm glad the NBA did it. I think it's great for the league. And I think it was a, a successful NBA All-Star game. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get to watch a lot of the game. And I'm, I'm still a little skeptical as to why you're sending a bunch of players to, to Atlanta for a weekend for an all-star game. So I'm a little skeptical about whether that will have kind of repercussions to be seen in the rest of the season, because, you know, they're going to have to schedule games during, during the first half of the season. They've had to, you know, teams could miss a game and they'd be like, okay, we're just going to push it to the second half of the season, but now we're at the second half of the season. So we're going to need to have teams playing enough games because then you get to the playoffs and, you know, the, 10 11 seed or the the six seven seed you know whether you're playing in the play-in or you're in the playoffs the, if those decisions are made by kind of teams having played different amounts of games and having different amounts of wins you know that that could that could be challenging i, I don't know you know you're seeing teams in, in college getting hit with kind of covet issues right now which could at a really really bad time um so yeah i don't know it's it's i it could be a reminder that you know the pandemic is still on us i don't know I didn't get to watch a lot of it, so that's kind of just my two cents on on the game. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I guess just from my perspective, like I got equal amount of like um entertainment out of watching like the rappers play two on two. I think it was Jack Harlow and Jack Harlow and uh, Little Baby versus like Two Chains and like somebody else. It's just the whole entertainment business of of the of the All Star game is just really 
that's the point, right? Like you're not going to watch to see these guys compete at their highest level. It's, it's more to just kind of get the whole novelty out of the weekend. But while we're on the topic of the NBA, quiz, I do want to rescind a take I had earlier. Luka Doncic is really good. He's a really good player. I, I, uh, I, I compared him to Russell Westbrook because of how I don't think he can elevate his team to a championship level. But the more I, I look at their roster, like it's just the Luka Doncic show. Um, he doesn't really have much help in terms of scoring wings. And he's every night teams key in on him and he's now shooting like an efficient percentage from three. And I think I was just wrong. So <laughs> there's, there's that. So moving on, I guess um, off the basketball topic, Dak Prescott got a lot of money, four years, $160 million. I think it was like something 65 million at the time of signing out of this world. Crazy. Um, and I think the most important thing to think about this is like, I can't think of another time where being seriously injured helped somebody's free agency case, because in the case of Dak, you know, he was in the stalemate with, with Jerry Jones about how much money he deserved and they weren't prepared to give it to him last season. But the minute he went down with his season ending injury, their offense was so anemic and, and then it like unable to do anything at the level Dak was, I think at the time of his injury, he was leading the league in passing. And it just showed that he had all the leverage all along. And, you know, he finally got what I think what he deserved. If we're talking, you know, the current slate of, of, uh, you know, quarterback contracts, it makes me feel a little bit better about Kirk Cousins making 40 million this season, but um, that's beside the point. I do think that Dak, Dak Prescott is a top 10 quarterback and that's just what the going rate is for those kind of two. QBs. If it wasn't the Cowboys with that contract for him, it would have been the Broncos or the Colts or like somebody else. So I don't have a problem with with, with what the Cowboys did. They they locked up their franchise guy and now they can focus on rebuilding the rest of the roster. Yeah, just to contextualize kind of the contract within the league, that, that puts him as the the second highest paid quarterback in annual value kind of over the course of the contract, right behind Patrick Mahomes, but ahead of Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson and and Aaron Rodgers, which, I mean, I, I think you made a good point. It's like, it's not, I don't know if Dak Prescott is worth the, that much money. Like uh, just in a, in a vacuum, I don't know if you're going to be able to win a championship paying Dak Prescott $40 million, despite the just absolutely absurd numbers he's putting up at the start of last season. Um, but I think that it's just the cost of doing business really that, if you want to get your guy and the, and the Cowboys have struggled in the past to, to find kind of their franchise quarterback. And so being able to lock, lock their guy down when it's really just can be a crapshoot at times to find the right quarterback through the draft, you know, just having that level of security is, is probably worth that. And, you know, if the, if the cap ends up going up in the next couple of years, the contract could look, could look better for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think it's, it's a good move. It's, um, you know, the NFL is a quarterback's league and you got to find your your guy and you can't get much better than Dak Prescott. The only thing is the injury. Um, but I, I think he'll he'll come back from that. He's supposed to come back next season. So um, I expect him to to make a, a full recovery. And if he can, then, you know, there's not that many other quarterbacks in the league who who, who you can reasonably expect to get better than than Dak Prescott. I mean, you, you could maybe go for a Deshaun Watson, but that's uh, if that wasn't possible, then I I have no problem with them just taking who they have. And, um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. The Jerry Jones quote, he said, I've overpaid for most special things in my life. And um, 
I wasn't sure if that was an insult or if it was a compliment, but you know, either way it's, it's kind of true. Like he, he is admitting that he overpaid for him, but you know, he doesn't think it's a mistake. And I think he's also saying that he overpaid for the Dallas Cowboys when he first, you know, got the team, but um, that's the most special thing in his life. So it sounds like they have a good relationship there. And, you know, the one thing is, I don't think they're going to make it to a Super Bowl, you know, paying them that much money. And, and you know, Tom Brady just took uh, – he's always sacrificing for the team and the franchise to get better players. And, you know, it, it would have been nice to see Dak do something similar to that. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, you can't blame him for wanting to get the bag. I mean, Tom Brady also has uh, a wife who's making even more money than he is. So, you know, you can't blame him. That's actually a great point in how we don't really consider like um, in athletes contracts, like when they have um, famous wives, like they're also bringing in a lot of money. And I think that that's a very considerable factor in all this on the note of the NFL as well. The chiefs released both their tackles, Mitchell Swartz and Eric Fisher, which is kind of crazy considering how much uncertainty that's going to bring towards the most important thing on their team, which is protecting Patrick Mahomes. That Mahomes also, I think he restructured his contract to free up around $16 million of cap space, which I think that even more confuses me why they would release their tackles in that sense, because it's it's not like they weren't quality players. Schwartz in particular was, was one of the best right tackles in all of football. Um, but I think that that's kind of a new thing that we're going to see, is like we're going to see these quarterbacks sign these massive contracts and part of the deal in that that will be unwritten is they're going to expect them to restructure their contracts to help the team when needed if they're going to end up having this much money anyway. You see the best players in football doing that, like Tom Brady and um, Patrick Mahomes. And I think that if you can't win a, a uh, championship with a quarterback off his, his own rookie contract, which obviously is ideal, that's kind of going to become the new like status quo of the NFL. So I thought that was a good point to make as well. I guess moving on, Noah, Juventus is out of the UCL. Can you explain what that means? I had no idea. Yeah, so kind of big story of the week in soccer, at least, is that both Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo are out of the Champions League. First time since 2005 that both will not be playing deeper into the tournament. And it's really significant. I just want to focus on Juventus because Barcelona were slated to go out of the tournament after going down. 4-1 4-1 to PSG in the first leg. But Juventus, down 2-1 in the first leg, were pretty were, – were expected to, to make the comeback. And it was an absolutely crazy game. They, they were playing Porto, down 2-1. They needed to you know get just a, a 1-0 win would do it. But uh, a crazy game ended up going to extra time. Porto were playing you know without a player for over an hour of the game, and they just could not find a way through. It was – Juventus dominated the game, uh, had over double the passes of Porto in the game, just passing around the box, sending in cross after cross, and just could not could not find a, a goal to send them over the line. Um, and then the the final goal at the end from Sergio Oliveira, I probably just butchered that, but you know, just a free kick from way outside the box that goes under the wall into the. I mean, it's it's just. It's embarrassing, really. Porto is the worst team remaining in the tournament and the fact that Juventus can't, can't make it through. But now just looking at a macro perspective, Juventus are out of the Champions League. Uh, third year in a row that they've kind of underperformed in the, in the league uh, since, since Cristiano Ronaldo has, has come 
to the club. Um, and it's also their third manager in three years there. Um, and now that you've got Andrea Pirlo at the helm, you know, Ronaldo, he's 33. He's, he's getting up there in age. Um, they're, they're not looking too good in, in the domestic league in Serie A. So I think, you know, towards the end of the season, it's going to be kind of, there might be a referendum on kind of the direction that Juventus may be heading in the future, um, whether they want to keep Ronaldo at the helm, who maybe may end up holding back the team from moving on into a new generation of players, uh, or if Pirlo is going to be their manager going forward. So I think, you know, the club's going to have to do some, some real kind of introspection, you know, after this exit, it's, it's been tough past three years for them. Um, and it will also be interesting to see kind of if Ronaldo stays at Juventus for another year, kind of just, just really seeing where the club is going to be going at the end of the season, because I, I don't think they're going to be able to win Serie A. So they're going to come away from this league without a significant trophy. And that's, that's going to really hurt for one of the most successful teams in the history of Italian soccer. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to note that for, for kind of this week in soccer news. Awesome. And I guess with that being said, Kevin, I want to hear your thoughts on the Cam Newton resigning with the Patriots. Um, personally, I don't like it at all. I think that in terms of contractual value, it was pretty fair. I mean, I think his contract technically is one year uh, for $14 million, but a lot of that is incentive-laden. Um, so I think the base salary is $5 million. I just think that his presence on the roster is a detriment to the team's success. I mean, he showed time and time again last season that he couldn't throw. Like, he's not a threat to throw the football as a quarterback. And I think that you can't win with a quarterback like that in, in the NFL. Um, even the best running quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson haven't had playoff success and teams can kind of like figure them out. And Cam Newton is just like a way worse version of that quarterback. Um, I think that the the right choice for that team, I think, would have to bring in a guy like maybe Jacoby Brissett from, uh, from Indianapolis, um, Ryan Fitzpatrick even for a one-year stopgap. Um, I just don't like his, that, that drama and media presence to be surrounding that team again next year. I want to hear your thoughts though. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised that they did that, that they re-signed Cam Newton. Um, he, he was pretty terrible last year as a Patriots fan. It's very frustrating to see, you know, your quarterback throw the ball into the dirt after you've been watching the greatest quarterback of all time for your whole life. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't, I'm not that, bothered by it because I don't know who else we'd get. I mean, the only person who I would want would be Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, And he might be expensive and we might have to give up too much for him. So I'm okay with just kicking the can down the road a little bit, maybe getting some more weapons instead and using our resource on, um, you know, for our receivers and for getting some good draft picks in the future. But yeah, I mean, I would love to see Jimmy G back in a Patriots uniform that's not going to happen. And I think Cam is a good presence as a leader uh, on the team. And it'll be interesting to see him come back as the team. You know, we had so many people opt out because of COVID last year. So, you know, with a full team and uh, another year in the system, it'll be interesting to see if he can respond. You know, he was playing like an MVP in the beginning of the season. Then he got COVID and, um, you know, shit really hit the fan after that. But, you know, if, if he can, if he can, readjust and get with the system again i'd like i'm interested i'm interested to see what happens but you know not too bothered by it 
Yeah, I was just going to say, it seems to me like a really like a no risk proposition for the Patriots. I mean, $14 million, not a lot. They can still pursue a quarterback in the draft if they want to. Um, I, I don't know if, you know if they're interested in taking Mac Jones. That, I, that doesn't seem like a, you know, a really a great prospect to me. But I mean, kicking the can down the road, I think that's a good point. I don't think the Patriots are going to be that good next year anyway. I don't because there's really no avenue to get, you know, a, a quarterback who could win a championship is kind of the reason behind that. Um, and, and I think that they could potentially still pursue a quarterback in, in a, you know, outside the draft um, kind of in free agency or, or somewhere like that if they wanted to. And I think it's also really hard to evaluate a lot of last season. So I think, you know, it was really tough. It, you know, Kevin said that, uh, that Cam had COVID and I, you know, his performance dropped off after that. It'll be interesting to see after this off season, whether, whether he can find some sort of kind of form to, to, to play a little bit better this coming season. For sure. Um, also it, the, the Pats traded, I think they traded a later round pick for Trent Brown, um, the old left tackle for uh, the Raiders. I love the move. I think that it allows uh, their offensive guard, Michael Onwenu, to stay in the interior where he's most successful. And uh, it moves um, Isaiah Wind to the right side. That should be a strength for the, for the team next year. And then also I thought it was very um, interesting how Mark Ingram signed with the Texans. The Texans are one of the most dysfunctional dysfunctional um, teams in, in sports right now, um, hands down. And I think that bringing a culture changer like Mark Ingram in um, will help kind of right that ship. So I thought that was a cool stat to see um, earlier this week. You know, with that being said, I guess we can start diving into our March Madness preview. So just for your guys' reference, um, we're going to go down the list here uh, with a little roundtable. So we'll start off with each of our favorites, um, the team we think that's that's going to win it all, um, followed by a, th- a three to five seed that we like to overperform uh, their positioning, an underdog sleeper um, that we see analysts and the uh, public media sleeping on, and a mid-major team that we could see making that classic Cinderella run. So I guess I can start. My favorite is the Illinois fighting Illini. I think that I know. Yeah, I see that reaction. I know it's a hot take, but they are scorching hot right now. Um, they just they probably have the most impressive win in all of college basketball this season, beating Michigan by 20 points on the road without their best player, Ayo Um, But I, what I think separates them is the, is their balance. Um, they have the the uh, six man the six man of the year in the Big Ten. Um, and then they have two absolute studs in Ao Desumu and Kofi Coburn. Um, Kofi Coburn is um, a just a low to the middle, and their ability to space him out with shooters and allow him to work the pick and roll with Ao Desumu has worked very well all season long. Um, Desumu returned for his uh, junior season, and it's worked out great for him. He's averaging 21 points a game, 6.2 rebounds, and 5.3 assists. He's also shooting 38.9% from three, um, which shows like, like his overall like efficiency on the perimeter as well. Um, and then I think backing up those two star players are Trent Frazier, who's one of the best co-stars in all of the Big Ten. Um, right now, I think they are the best team in the best conference in all of basketball, which is the Big Ten. And I think you see teams that succeed in March when they're getting hot at the right time. And that's exactly what Illinois is doing right now. I, I think they're going to win the Big Ten tournament. And with that win, I think that they will get a number one seed. 
even if they don't, I do think that they have the roster build, the health, and kind of that fire. Um, they're upperclassmen led um, to make a deep run in the March Madness, and I do expect them to win it all. So I am intrigued to see what you guys think of that. Well, just to give a reaction, I, I think it's a, a two-horse race to me, which I can share in a second, but just reacting to Illinois. First of all, Andre Curbelo is one of my favorite players to watch, sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. He's he's a ton of fun to watch, although potentially turnover-prone at times. Um, I Yeah, I mean, they've got a really good roster, and I think Io DeSumo can be that guy in the tournament. And, you know, when you're making a deep run and you have kind of that guy like Cassius Winston was from Michigan State a couple years ago. Um and also, I mean, you know, there's a ton of other examples, but when you have the guy who can really just kind of get you points at the end of a close game, whenever, um, I, I think that's really valuable. But one of the things is they've got some worrying losses on their schedule and they can have some some lapses in, in offensive performance that could really come come back to bite them, you know, deeper in the tournament. I also think Kofi Coburn can be a little bit of a liability in pick and roll defense. So against a team who can who can spread them out, maybe like a Baylor, uh, that could be very problematic, I think, you know, which that's only specifically one team. But, yeah, I think they'll be dangerous out deeper in the yeah, tournament. I totally agree. I, but I just think that the uh, overall foursome of uh, Curbelo, Desumu, Coburn, um, and Trent Frazier, I struggle to find a better um, top four players in all of college basketball on a team uh, outside of Gonzaga. So once you take those kind of final two teams into context, like, like Illinois has been tried and true and playing – grinding out wins all season long and in the hardest conference of basketball. So that's kind of my um, thought process behind that. But Noah, what's your pick? All right. Well, I'll go with one team. You just said them Gonzaga. So I was doing some, I was looking at some like basics, some stats to see kind of where Gonzaga ranks for. So just from a baseline, you know, the first in the, in the country and field goal percentage first in the country in points per game at 92 points per game, which is insane, which I understand the argument that they're in a, in the West Coast Conference, which is, you know, the competition's not as, as stout as it is in the Big Ten or Big 12. Um, but then also looking at the lineups they put out on the floor, kind of looking at Hoop Explorer, which is a, a website that has advanced statistics on, on lineup performances. Um, and the lineup of Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, Jalen Suggs, which first of all, those three are in the semifinalists for the Wooden Award. They have three players in the semifinals for the best basketball player in the country. Insane to go along with Joel Yai and Andrew Nimhard. So those five are plus 58.2 points per hundred processions. So they're outscoring teams by that much over the season. It's insane. And they've got four of the top seven, you know, most efficient lineups by net rating per hoop explorer. Um, you know, Corey Kispert is, you know, a 44.4% three point shooter who's six, eight and can drive and make decisions. Jalen Suggs is electric can, you know, get to the rim uh, that's one of the things he struggles to do, but his finishing ability is incredible. He can shoot. You know, it's got Drew Timmy uh, down low who can play in the post. And then, you know, and they, they had a solid team coming back this year. And then they had Andrew Nimhart, who's a five-star from Florida transfer there. And they're just absolutely stacked. And, you know, they've got a weak conference, but they also have wins over Kansas, Auburn, West Virginia, Iowa, and Virginia in non-conference play. So if I had to pick a team right now to win the, win the tournament, I would have to go with Gonzaga. Yeah, I love that pick, too. Um, like, it was tough to decide between my top two. The one thing I would say with Gonzaga is I know they have those wins, like, early on in the season. But, you know, with this COVID schedule, like, those weren't, those aren't the same Kansas-Virginia teams that we have right now. I think that if, if they had a rematch, it would be a lot different, which I think is evidenced by 
their 10-point win against BYU in the uh, WCC championship game. They trailed for most of that game, and it was not a very convincing way to, to get into March. I do think that they're a lock for the Sweet 16 Elite, Elite Eight because, like you said, just their overall roster efficiency and able to work together. Um, and, yeah, that's a great pick. Yep, uh, that's my pick too. Gonzaga, I mean, you laid out all the stats right there, Noah, but I'm going to just add something there is – I don't know if you guys saw the West Coast tournament, um, but Gonzaga was down and they they were they almost lost and they came back and won. And I think that's such an important thing as a team to be able to bounce back from a deficit. And you know, I think I was a little worried about them before that game because you know they're in the West Coast Conference and they don't have that strong of a schedule. But to see them bounce back from from a deficit is, you know, like that's the best thing you can see from them. So I, I got Gonzaga completing their perfect season and winning it all. I, I'd like to add one more team to this discussion. I said it was a two horse race and I won't talk about it for too long, but Baylor just deserves a mention in the conversation. I think it's either Baylor or Gonzaga. Um, and I'd be hard pressed to find someone else who could beat them. You know, Baylor has one of the best defenses in the country with, with Jared Butler, Macy Oteek and Davion Mitchell is the three guard pairing there um, along with Mark Vidal. Down low, and then also they're the fir- they're the best three point shooting team in the country by percentage, it, and th- they're they're lights out from deep, and their defense is incredible, and they went almost undefeated in conference play, and the one loss came you know right after a COVID break, before losing they actually just lost to Oklahoma State last night in a really tight game, great game, but yeah, I think they're definitely going to be dangerous as well. So just that thought they deserve to mention for sure. Yeah, I'd also mention Michigan in there. I think um, they've wildly outperformed expectations uh, this season. Um, The best freshman, I think, in the country is Hunter Dickinson. He's an absolute load down low. And then if you bring in grad transfer Mike Smith, who's been um, crazy efficient, he just had 14 assists and over 20 points in their win uh, yesterday, the Big Ten tournament. I think that um, they're 19-3, and and I think their overall roster – cohesiveness friends Wagner has the best plus minus in the entire country um, and I think that they had the tools again to make a very deep run as they've done in the past um, but with that being said I guess we can move on um, to our three to five seed team that we like uh, Noah you want to start sure I'll go with the team that I've I've liked in the past before um, it's, it's West Virginia for me uh, they're they're a team that is you know played a lot of tough games this year they've you know, face a lot of tough opponents. They've also had a bit of controversy with their team. So one, one of their big returning players was Oscar Chibwe. He's a former top 50 recruit, um, was a big part of their team last year and came back to wanted to up his draft stock, but really fell out with the team and ended up uh, leaving the team early to transfer to Kentucky. But despite all that, they were ranked 10th in the most recent eight people. And they, you know, the, the, the name, the duo that they rely on most heavily, Miles, McBride, Miles Deuce McBride and uh, Derek Culver. So McBride is 15.3 points, 3.9 rebounds, 4.7 assists, uh, 41.2% from three, just in very, very good at manipulating the defense and also, you know, knocking down open shots. Um, Derek Culver, big underneath, going to get a lot of rebounds, you know, battle underneath. Um, and, and more stylistically as a team, when you watch, when you watch West Virginia, they're going to get to the free throw line a ton the second and free throws attempted per game. And they're also going to get a lot of offensive rebounds when they had Culver and Shibway in the game, you know, they have the the twin towers down below to, to get those rebounds. 
but now it's just just Culver, and they're still 12th in offensive rebound percentage at, at 35.9%. And so despite all these losses, you know, they've, they're 18-8 and eight on the season, but they've got a five-point loss to Gonzaga, a five-point loss to Baylor, a two-point loss to Texas in there. So those are incredibly tight games. So they can give the, the best teams in the country really tight games, and they've got a guy in Deuce McBride who can get you a bucket at the end of games. And I think that's just a formula that can win you games in a, in a March madness tournament. So that's kind of one of the seeds that I really want to watch. You know, I understand them. They may also disappoint too, but I think they've, they've got the the talent and the ability to, to make a run. Yeah, I totally agree. I will raise you a team that just beat West Virginia and Baylor as my team to watch, which is Oklahoma state. The two words that are needed to be said with Oklahoma state are Cade Cunningham because he is a sight to see in a basketball court. He is a lock for a top three pick in the NBA draft next year. Um, and there's not many players in, in recent memory that have had the impact on games that he does. He's a 6'8 point guard that um, has a mellow ball-like passing instinct, but also is currently shooting 44-plus percent from three on the season. He is – it's a one-man show in Oklahoma State, but he's still putting up um, the most points per game in the entire Big 12, I think 19.3. Um, he is the NCAA tournament March Madness is March Madness because of players like him. Stars are born on the big stage, and he has the tools um, to be the best player in the entire tournament. Um, to, to back up those stats, they're high at the, the right time. They, they just beat um, West Virginia and closed out that close game. They were 6-0 to start the season but they had a big win over Texas Tech and they would actually go on to sweep Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Both teams will be high seeds in the tournament. Um, Oklahoma State also had a huge win over Arkansas in the SEC uh, Big 12 Challenge, um, which gave them a huge win over a non-conference top 15 Ken Palm team. And I think that gives them a contention for a four to five seed. Um, they're still alive right now in the Big 12 tournament. And I think that, um, you know, they have guys that can shoot from the perimeter and kind of take pressure off Cade in that way. Um, they're also a, 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 a team characteristic, I think, that is most important when it comes down to March is their ability to close because all these games are going to be close. Teams are operating at their highest right now. They're the most ex experienced and well-combined teams, um, you know, in all of college basketball. And the Cowboys have been great at the end of games all season long. Um, they've won three games in overtime and one in double OT. Um, but only four of their losses have come by a combined of 10 points. So I think that they're a team that's going to be in every game they, they play against. Um, they have the star power in Cade to match up against any other team's best player. And I think um, they have all they they're hot at the right time. They, they just beat Baylor and West Virginia in the big 12 tournament. Um, that might cause them to get overseeded. I could, I've heard some whispers about them being a number three seed, which might be too high for them. They were 18 and seven on the regular season, but I just love their outlook going into March. And I think since college basketball is a star driven league, I think he's really going to shine on the biggest stage. All right. For my, my uh, three to five seed team, I got the Ohio state Buckeyes and I made this take before they beat Michigan today, um, which is, is pretty remarkable. So they might not actually be a three to five seed. They might slip into that number two slot right now, but they are 21 and eight in an absolutely stacked big 10 right now. Um, and I think something that needs to be talked about 
is how different this year is than any other year in March Madness history and or in college basketball history rather in that like not everyone is playing a similar amount of games a lot of people have or a lot of teams have had many games off and I think that's really bad for the for a team and a team like the Ohio State Buckeyes they have 29 games now they're going to get one more tomorrow so they'll have 30 games and that's huge and a lot of those games are against these you know like heavyweight big 10 teams that are just nasty and i think you know my my wrestling coach we always hated him because he made us wrestle every weekend and no other teams did that we would we would go to a tournament every weekend and he'd just be like the best form of practice is experience and so you get so much better by getting in those situations where you're like, Oh shit, we're down. We need to go. And and it's like, you get those when you play basketball and a lot of these teams are playing close to like 20 games. And um, so I, I think if you're creating your bracket and you're trying to figure out which team should I take? These teams look very similar. I just look at the records. How many games have they played this season? Are they going to be able to respond if they're down by 20 and they need to make a comeback? And a team like Ohio State has played a lot of games and has played a lot of um, a good teams. So I, I got the Buckeyes. Yeah, I, I saw they've got a, a, a little bit of a worrying four-game losing streak before, you know, uh, a couple games before before the, the tournament or the, the Big Ten tournament, sorry. Um, and, you know, they've, they've also got some worrying losses. They lost to Purdue earlier in the year. Um, I, I think it's a good point when, you know, seeing how many games played, having that experience, um, being able to call upon that, I think it's a good point. For sure. That being said, we can move on to our underdog that we all like. Um, I guess I can start. My underdog is Texas. Um, I love their roster makeup. Um, they began the season 10-1, and one, which resulted them to rise as high as number four in the country. Since that time, though, they did deal with a short bout of COVID, um, which kind of caused them to become to fall victim to inconsistency. They lost six of their next 10 games um, and are kind of two-faced in the way that they some games they'll dominate their opponents and some games they can't buy a bucket. But if you're looking at their roster constructions, they have everything that you want in a quality tournament team. Um, they have senior-led quality guards. Matt Coleman, Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones are are upperclassmen players that have plenty of experience in the Big 12. Um, they have plenty of depth throughout the roster. Jericho Sims, um, Greg, Greg Brown. They have a guy who might go top 15 in the NBA draft who gets like 12 minutes a game. His name's Kai Smith. They're super athletic forwards that can smother opponents defensively. Um so in that way, they also have the guy that can, that I can get you buckets at the end of the game in Matt Coleman. Um, they are a team that has a sky high and I believe championship worthy ceiling. But the issue with them is they've been inconsistent all season, like I said, and you can't have inconsistent games um, come tournament time because one loss means you're out. But yeah, I do think that they're kind of being slept on right now because it's just how strong the Big 12 is. You have teams like... West Virginia and Baylor and now Oklahoma state that are getting hot at the right time and taking all the headlines. But I do think that Shaka smart finally has his team playing at a good pace and a good up to the talent that they always bring in. 
So I would watch for Texas as probably I'd maybe go a six or seven seed for them. Um, but I would watch them to make the Sweet 16 and maybe even higher. I think, that's, I think it's a great pick. I mean, I, it's kind of crazy that like not a little bit over a year ago, Shaka Smart was kind of on the hot seat. You know, people, people thought he could get fired at some point. But then you kind of look at the makeup of the team, which I think the roster is really strong. You know, that front court rotation is is really strong. Greg Browns, Jericho Simpson, Kai Jones there. Um, and then you you look at the the rankings for their, their recruitment rankings and they're all top hundred prospects, but they're all have grown into, you know, kind of upperclassmen, maybe not upperclassmen, but sophomores. It's not, not a ton of freshmen who are taking up a lot of the minutes there. And so, you know, once you're having this maturing roster, it's gotten better. And so I, it, I just thought it's crazy that, you know, you think, you know, shock smart is supposed to get fired because the team's not good enough. And then a year later they're, they're here. And I think you're right. They could be really dangerous in the tournament. For sure. He also like year after year, it's like not a, ever about his ability to bring in talent because they always have like if like before it was um, Jackson Hayes and all these five star recruits that come. It's just his ability to have his team playing right at the right time. And I think this year might be that year just to close out the Texas conversation. Um, I, I, a key stat for them is Greg Brown is the X factor on that team. He's again, five star recruit who might go to the NBA is insanely athletic but kind of unpolished um when he's playing well the offense as a whole opens up and flows much more efficiently um he averages 12.9 points um per contest in texas's wins but in six of texas's losses he's averaging only 6.4 points a game um and texas this season um four of their six losses have come by only um a single digit score so I think if he's up to the challenge, um, I could for sure see, you know, Texas becoming a Cinderella team uh, come March. All right. Well, I can, I can share my sleeper. And I, I don't know if this is, you talked about sleepers at the beginning. Is that how, what, what, what teams media may be sleeping on? I don't know. I feel like this team might be all over the media as of recently. Um, and, it, and I'll go with the team that's also in the big East with Villanova and that's UConn. And I don't, I don't know realistically problem. One of their most likely outcomes is an early exit in the tournament, which I, I see very clearly is like a first round exit that I can, that completely makes sense to me. And I completely understand that, but they've got, you know, James Booknight is the story of that team. He's electric to watch. He's so, I mean, his ability to get to the rim and, you know, shoot and take on just possession after possession of offense for them is incredible. I mean, his uses percentage is, is over 30, which is, you know, a, a sign of, you know, him really being the main, the go-to guy for almost, for almost every possession during, during UConn games. And, you know, one worry, um, he has had a, a nagging elbow injury, which is, has kept him out of a couple games this season, but I, it's, it's hard not to think about the Kimball Walker, the Shabazz Napier teams from the past and, and think back to those and think, you know, book Knight could be that guy. I mean, he, he scored 40 points against Creighton earlier in the season and you thought, you know, he's, he's got, he's got whatever it is, whatever you need to, to make a deep run in March. Um, and then one other guy I'll highlight on the team, since it's, you know, it's not just him is, is RJ Cole, who's averaging, you know, 12.6 points for the team. And he's, he's somebody to, to watch. I'm um, in the non, non James book Knight minutes that, uh, who may who may stand out for the team and, and could could be impactful for the team in, in the tournament. And so that that's a team that I'm excited to watch, although I'm I'm very cognizant that they could also be facing uh, an early exit. All right. So for my sleeper team, I got the San Diego State Aztecs. Um, they were 
big favorites last year and they lost a couple of their of their major players but i think they're hungry after not being able to get to the tournament last year and um they had two losses in a row and then since then on a 13 game win streak and um and i think they they just uh they they're also shooting lights out from the from uh three they got hold on let me pull it up they have yeah 38 percent from three which is pretty pretty remarkable and they got uh 52.9 in field goal percentage and they're they're just like loaded with veterans on the team and and i think you know that's what it's going to take some someone who can shoot the lights out from three on, on any given night and then also play hard defense and i think they're good enough and they're well coached and um i think they're a little underranked on a 13 game win for sure i also love that pick it even they like last year they graduated their best player malachi flynn who was a first round pick and i just like think it just speaks to their program success and uh i guess talent development to be back you know right back in the picture right now in march with that loss in top tier talent um I guess some other teams worth mentioning are Virginia. Um, I think that Jay Huff is uh, one of the most underrated players in the country. He's an inside-out scoring threat who can also block shots. And I think Sam Hauser along um, with Kihei Clark at point guard um, gives him a good chance, as any, to uh, make a Sweet 16 run. Um, And I'd also mention Texas Tech as well because Mac McClung has been, as advertised this season, in a prominent role. And I do – Give personally, I give more credit to teams in the Big Ten and Big Twelve, just because of the night in, night out talent and teams they're facing every day. I think that matters a lot when um, March begins. But with that being said, we can move on to our favorite parts of the show, which is picking the mid majors. Mid majors, seeing a team um, from a mid major conference make runs in March is why we like college basketball. It happens every year. My pick would be the Liberty Flames. Liberty is a kind of a classic team. They make the March Madness tournament pretty often, um, but I can see them becoming a number 13 seed. Um, just a little historical fact for context. Since the NCAA tournament field has expanded to 64 teams, a 13 seed has upset a four seed 29 times, which is around a 20% success rate. I see Liberty as continuing that trend. And again, they're hot at the right time. They've won 12 in a row and uh, ran the table in the Atlantic Sun tournament. Um, so they have an auto bid. And in terms of playing quality teams well, they lost on the road at Missouri by nine earlier in the season, which I think speaks to their ability to play up to higher team talent. Um, in terms of their calling card as a team, they have the slowest pace in the nation. Um, which means that they rarely ever fast break and take their time offensively on their offensive sets, which I think bodes well for other teams, because if you're trying to outrun, you know, teams like Illinois, teams like Iowa, Gonzaga, that's, that's, that's not going to work well. Breaking them down offensively is a more, I think, um, quality way of attacking them on the defensive end. Uh, They also have a lot of experience from previous tournament teams, uh, namely Darius McGee, who's averaging 15.6 points a game and Elijah Cuffey who's averaging 9.6. That tournament experience, I think, sets them apart from other mid-majors. They also shoot the ball very well from three at around 39.1%, which is currently 
seventh in D one. And so yeah, don't sleep on Liberty. Yeah, I'll take I'll take another hot team as my mid major. I'll be honest, I when we had decided to pick a mid major team, I was just gonna roll with Belmont, which is one of my one of my favorite teams from from my hometown in Nashville, but they ended up getting dumped out of out of the Missouri Valley Conference tournament, I believe, uh, to Morehead State. So I have uh, gone with Winthrop for this, the Winthrop uh, Eagles for for this. I, I don't know much about Winthrop, but they're they're twenty three and one from the Big South, ended up winning the conference. Uh, their one loss came against UNC Asheville this year in a two-point two point loss. Uh, so a lot of the, the smaller conferences this year ended up playing a schedule where they play kind of two, game, two games back-to-back against the same team. So, you know, you, the, their schedule kind of looks like two games against, you know, Team A and then two games against Team B, you know, back and forth throughout the rest of the season, which I think that makes it, you know, harder to win games. It's a, it's a really interesting you know, kind of prevention measure for COVID-19, but that's kind of just some context for, for their season. They ended up going 23 and one, you know, easily the strongest team in the big South. Um, and, and they're a really, you know, veteran team. They've got six seniors on, on their team and they're, they're led by a trio of senior guards and Chandler Vodren, uh, Charles Falden and Adonis arms. Um, Chandler Vodren, the leader of the team, the big South player of the year, 12.2 points, 7.2 rebounds, 6.9 assists can really do it all for, for the team you know, backed up by, by Charles Falden and Adonis Arms, both over 10 points per game. Um, and, and one of the things I was looking at when I was looking up at their, at their lineup, so they usually start uh, Chandler Vodren, Charles Falden, Adonis Arms, and then Michael Noonba and Kyle Zunich. But one of their most efficient lineups involves using uh, DJ Barnes as a junior for them, who's uh, averaging 10 points a game himself. So um, if you're watching Winthrop, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people will be, but you know that that maybe a, a mid-major team to watch could be could be upsetting other teams, and uh, you know getting DJ Burns in the lineup should be should be something for them to look at. I'll certainly be be watching out for that uh, based on my research into the team. I like that. I, I also like Winthrop Chandler Chandler Baudrin. Yeah, he seems to be able to do it all for them, and it seems to be a common theme with with these. Like you look at Loyola when they did it, they had senior leadership, and I think that's what Winthrop has too. So uh, my take, I went with BYU. The way I, I saw them play against Gonzaga, um, they had an 11 point lead, I believe, and then they lost. But, you know, they, they also have that senior leadership. They have Alex Barcello, who um, kind of reminds me of a Colin Gillespie, can really do it all. And I think he's, I think that's what you need in, in March Madness. Wouldn't it be nice to have, someone like that on our team but um you know i think that byu they proved that they could do it against gonzaga and if you can do it against gonzaga i think you can do it against anyone so that's what i got yeah for sure i love that pick as well i think byu matt harms to uh, transfer from purdue great player um i guess before we move on um i think it'd be good to mention a team that we could see is upset prone um, it may be overranked uh, when it all is said and done. And unfortunately, I am picking Villanova <laughs> as one of those teams because our success this season will mean that we'll fall no further than, than a five seed, I think, five or six seed. Um, and I I can just see the right on the wall. And I at a first-round exit definitely seems like a real possibility. Losing Colin Gillespie uh, is just such a killer. But even before that, I do think that we're not deep enough to survive these like flurry of games happening right now. 
Justin Moore's injury only further complicates that. And I can just picture right now us becoming a five seed and then having the classic five twelve upset work against us um, in the next few weeks. Yeah, I'd probably go with the team that you mentioned earlier in Virginia, where like, I mean, you talked about how, you know, valuing big 12 teams and big 10 teams because they, they face this gauntlet during the conference play, which I completely agree with because you're facing, you know, that, that elevated level of competition. Conversely, the ACC is having a really down year this year. And so I think a lot of ACs, a lot of Virginia's wins in the conference may, may not be as valuable as they have been in past years. They also have, you know, some worrying losses to, to NC state, to Duke, who's having a down year and then also kind of Virginia tech earlier. And then obviously they've got that San Francisco loss, you know, as a blemish at the, at the top of the season, which you know, I don't know how much we can value now. So they, they've got some talent on the team, but I, I just don't, I don't trust them certainly to make a run of the tournament. I think they, they could be a team that we see, um, you know, packing their bags and, and leaving Indy uh, a little bit earlier than many would expect. Yeah. For my take, I got um, Michigan and they're not, they could be a one seed. And uh, I know that might not be a, a uh, popular take right now, but they just lost to Ohio state today. They lost to Michigan state last Sunday. And so I think we talk a lot about momentum going into the tournament. And um, if you're, you know, riding high and you're a one seed and then, but you also just lost two games right before the tournament. I think that that is, can be devastating for a team. And I think they, they also don't have as many games as, you know, Ohio state or many of the other teams in the tournament. And I, like I said before, I think that's going to be really important this year is how many games have you played? How many times have you gotten in those scary situations where you you really need to, to make a comeback and were you able to, to respond to that? Yeah. I got Michigan going down early. For sure. I also would add a North Carolina to that list. I think um, people are kind of hopping back on the hype train just because they've, they have, a, I think they've won four of their last five games and are kind of getting hot at the right time. But again, I do think that's a lot of name value considering they're a historic blue blood program. I think um, they've shown all season long to be inconsistent. And I think the ACC has been so down this year that, you know, playing a team like Baylor or West Virginia early is going to, you know, not be good for them. Um, before we move on, though, I do want to mention a few more teams that I think can do damage in March. Um, Oregon is one. I feel like the Pac-12, again, isn't a great conference, but you know, they've, they've been consistent all season long and haven't received the hype I think that they should have de- uh, deserved. Chris Duarte is um, one of the – like he was Pac-12 player of the year. I think he's um, – you know, they're going to get Will Will Richardson back at uh, full strength, and I think they're a team that is, is a for sure a threat to do some damage. I'd also add Arkansas in the mix as well. I think uh, Moses Moody is one of the best young players in the country. He's going to be a uh, lottery pick this upcoming NBA draft and the pace that Arkansas plays at um, coach Moss hasn't played at one of the top five rates in the country. I think that's going to be a fun dynamic to watch in March. Um, I think a mid-major teams will struggle to keep up with them in the open court. Um, so unless you guys have anything else to add, um, we can move on to our lines of the week. Sounds good. Perfect. Um, my line of the week is Oklahoma state plus two and a half today at Texas. I love Cade Cunningham. As I said before, I think he's one of the best players in all of college basketball and they're fresh off two great wins against Baylor and uh, West Virginia. So I would look for them to upset Texas and uh, maybe even win the big 12 tournament. Plus two and a half seems wild to me and they just beat Baylor, but yeah, that, that seems like a good pick uh, for me. I'll go soccer again. You know, we've got champions league again, midweek. 
Atalanta, Real Madrid should be a lot of fun. Got Atalanta plus two, 265 on the money line. I mean, so one thing I want to break down really quickly is, you know, Real Madrid's formation, they run a 4-3-3 frequently. And one of the things they, they really rely on heavily is the spine of their formation. So that's going to be the striker, the central, the central center midfielder, and the center backs and, and goalkeeper. Um, so in the game, you know, Sergio Ramos, the clear leader of the team, is out with injury. But they're also going to be missing their center midfielder and Casemiro for the game uh, due to yellow card accumulation which is a huge issue. He does a lot of defensive work for them and really, you know, bounces the team from that center place in the midfield because, you know, you got guys like Tony Kroos and Luka Modric who are, who are getting up there in age and, and can't do the same work that they used to. So I think that Atalanta may find more space in the midfield. Um, they're going to they're gonna go at Federico Valverde, who I believe will be replacing Casemiro in the midfield for the game. So I think Atalanta's attack will be able to, to get in and, and get, get enough chances to win the game despite, despite being... 1-0 down um, from the first leg. So, you know, Atalanta to win outright is plus 265. That's my pick for the week. Uh, my line of the week, uh, we got another UFC fight card tonight. And um, we got in the main card, Leon Edwards versus Belal Muhammad. And I think this is going to be a great fight. It's uh, And my prediction is it'll go the distance. These two guys have the exact same record in the 170-pound uh, division. And I'm picking... Muhammad as the underdog. Awesome. That should conclude our show today. Cannot wait for the uh, selection show tomorrow. Should be a great time. Um, I think this year, especially like a little party note, quality of play this season has just been so much fun to watch. College basketball finally has some recognizable stars that have stayed and uh, really like cared about their college careers. You can point to Luca Garza, Isaiah Livers, uh, Desumu. Um, you know, all these guys, I mean, that's just the Big Ten, but Jared Butler, you know, guys in the Big 12, um, they've they've really made college basketball a uh, bright spot with the NBA kind of having COVID issues right now. So, yeah, I, uh, I absolutely cannot wait uh, for March Madness to begin. And um, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Chat. See you next week.